glad to see all of you guys uh, today. Uh, first of all, I was thinking this as I was running this morning. As if you don't remember anything else from today, I just want you to know, just you are just so loved by God. And when God looks at you, just called me higher idea, just the potential that God sees when he sees you is just so much. So hopefully you hear other stuff, but God loves you. God has a lot planned for you. Uh, so here's what I want to uh, talk about today. Uh, here's kind of opening questions. Is, this is kind of one of those like stay up at late, uh, you're talking to your friends, uh, maybe over a drink, having these kind of conversations. What is the meaning of your life? When you think about like, ah, oh, like what's, like I'm, I'm doing my job and you know, I got these like hobbies, but like like deep down, like what's like the meaning of my life? Uh, or maybe another way to say it is like, what's like my purpose? Like what's like my deep down? Like it can't just be to like, you know, wake up and go to work and go home and watch Netflix and sleep and repeat. Like what's like really like deep down, what's my purpose? Uh, or maybe depending on if you grew up in a church tradition, maybe you've heard this phrase before, what is your chief end? What is like the chief end of man, uh, or just maybe to make it like simpler, like what is it that I was created to do? Like what, like am I somehow made for something more than just all of this? Uh, and uh, if you're a Christian and not everyone in the room uh, is necessarily a Christian, some of you are just exploring and that's awesome. Uh, but if you're a Christian, there is a right answer, uh, and one of the right answers to that question is that you were created, you were, your purpose and meaning in life is to worship. Some of us might look at that and be like, okay, that's, that's good, but like, here's like what I'm wondering, John. Like, I mean, I'm staying up late in the middle of the night, you know, like, and I'm trying to figure out like, what's like the meaning, like what's like the real meaning of my life and like, what's like my deep down purpose and what's like my chief end and like, what like am I created to do? Uh, and there's another right answer. And that right answer is that you were created to be a priest. Everybody excited? That's what you're created to do. You're created to be, to worship and to be a priest. Uh, and for most of us, when we see those, there's a part of us that's like, eh. because when we think of the idea of worship, many of us think of like coming into a building like this and saying prayers and singing songs. Uh, and for this group of people, I'm guessing that to some extent you enjoy that because you're here this morning. Uh, you're the kind of person who likes singing songs and praying and coming into the building. That's something that is okay with you. But like, is that what you really want to do all the time? Uh, remember when I was a kid, we were having a discussion once about heaven and asking what is heaven going to be like. Uh, and someone said, heaven is going to be like a church service that never ends. It's kind of like, Oh, no. Like, I, is that real? Like, because like, worship's fine, but is that really? Uh, and then when you think of the idea of priest, maybe you think of me. Or you think of someone else who you've kind of been in that position in your life. And like, yeah, 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 being a, you know, if you want to be a preacher, that's fine. But like, I get it. Like, I understand how like people relate to preachers. Uh, I have often uh, been at parties and other places like that and kind of doing the initial conversations with folks and uh, the conversation come up, well, what do you do? And those, oh, well, I'm a preacher. 
And it's amazing. Like, people, like, radically change. Like, if they were cursing, all their cursing goes away. Uh, the dirty joke they just told, that, like, I kind of apologize for that. Uh, I had someone at a party once, and they were holding a drink, and they're having this kind of, and I said that I was a preacher, and they literally just kind of put their drink behind them. Kind of, because there was this thought that's like, all right, there's, there's stuff in life that is, like, fun, and then there's, like, the stuff that, like, you must do if you're a preacher. And, like, I, I don't necessarily want to, like, is that really what I'm supposed to be in my life? Uh, and what we're going to talk about today is that truly your purpose in life is to worship and to be a priest. But it is not in those narrow definitions. And what it means is much, much better. Uh, we are in a series that we've been in uh, all fall. We started in September, and in this series, we are looking at kind of uh, the big story of the Bible, but really just looking at the very beginning of the Bible, of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and the reason why we're doing this is because as a church, as a group of people, we are fairly obsessed with Jesus and with the Bible. Uh, and there's a great resource that we've been pointing you guys to during this series called The Bible Project. They make a ton of great videos on YouTube. Uh, and their motto uh, for The Bible Project is this, and we're stealing this as much as we can, is that their mission is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And that's what we absolutely believe. We believe that when you open up any different section of the Bible, that it is incredibly helpful and it's got a lot of interesting stories, but it's all kind of leading to this big idea of Jesus. Uh, and what we want to see, uh, you can go to the next one there, is that kind of the whole Bible is based on this idea of like what really is the, the plan uh, that God originally had, what, was, what went wrong, and then what is the answer. And what we believe is that the answer for almost anything in life is Jesus. Uh, that following Jesus, discipleship to Jesus is the answer to almost everything, which is why we do so much based around the idea of following Jesus, why the whole Bible leads to Jesus. But for us to understand just how big Jesus is and to understand just how big kind of the, what we call the gospel or salvation, we have to have first, and we're going to spend all of the winter, so starting in January, talking a lot about just the, the what it means that Jesus is the answer. So hold on for that. But before we can really get to the answer, we have to spend a lot of time talking about what is the plan? What was God's original idea of what this whole thing was supposed to be? And then we have to be honest about what went wrong. Because we, we hope when we look at the world and we watch the news that this isn't all the plan that God originally had. Something has obviously gone wrong. And so we know we need an answer. It feels like there was something that was like original, and we want to kind of have a basis for that whole idea. And so we're looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because that's the very first couple pages of the Bible. And in those pages, we find what was the original plan, and we find what went wrong, which then sets us off for everything for Jesus. And today, what we're going to talk about is the part not all, but part of the original plan that God had for creation was that he created us, mankind, to be worshipers and to be priests, to, be, to worship as royal priests, that God was part of God's original plan. Uh, again, like I said, that is just much bigger and better than maybe when you first kind of eye that, and we're going to go into all of that today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to do a quick bit of review. Uh, so uh, in the first uh, Sunday of this series, back at the beginning of September, uh, we talked about that one of God's original plans for creation was that he wanted to create a very good world that was expanding. 
Uh, and it's so much kind of the premise of everything else that we're built off of is this idea that God made a world that was incredibly very good and was getting better. Uh, and so where we started that uh, was in Genesis chapter 1. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 1, I think I skipped a couple slides on you there. AZ, you can skip ahead. To, there he goes. And it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And uh, what we tried to make clear that week is that the authors, we think, made a very clear distinction there of using those words that the world that God had made was very good, but did not use the words perfect. Uh, because as we often think of the idea of perfect, is perfect is this idea of like complete, that it's like exactly the way it's supposed to be, and it shouldn't ever be touched. Uh, one of the ways that uh, I've thought about it over the last little bit uh, when I was uh, growing up in middle school, I grew up uh, in Tampa, Florida, my middle school and early high school years, uh, and there was a family that was in the church that I grew up in, and they had a pretty nice house, and they had this room in their house that they called their white room, and it was this room, it was a living room, and everything in there was white, white fireplace, white carpet, white furniture, white lamps, white tables. It was just everything was white. And whenever we would go to that house, there was like this like instructions that you got as soon as you went in the house of like, don't go in the white room. Don't, don't look in there. Don't touch it. Just like, don't, don't even get close as kids, teenagers, because the idea was that this room has been set up, has been designed, has been created exactly the way it's supposed to be. And the only thing that you kids could do is screw it up. There's no way you could ever make it better. The only thing you could do is make it worse. Uh, and sometimes when we think of like God's creation for the planet, we have that idea of this like perfect, sterile world, and like the only thing we as humans could do is make it worse. But that's not the idea that's presented to us in Genesis. Is we're created to this world that is incredibly very good, but indeed it could actually get much better. Uh, so again, this is all review. Of, we looked at these couple verses in Genesis chapter 1 with this idea that God created this world that was going to expand. And so God created, uh, let the land produce vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees on the land. And so the idea that God's creating not the perfect amount of trees ever, but God's creating some trees that will then produce more and will grow and the garden will get bigger and expand. Uh, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, days, and years. So the idea is God didn't just make like, here's the perfect day. It's, today's good, but then we're going to have another day and another day and another year. And time is going to keep going. And as it's going, we want things to get better, not just stay the same. Uh, again, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters. Talking the animals, the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. So even he didn't create the perfect amount of animals. He wants it to expand and get bigger. And then even with humans, uh, the idea uh, is that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And so from the very beginning was this idea that God created this world not to be static and sterile, but to expand and to get better and just to become more and more and more. Uh, and there's different words you could use to describe kind of this idea of this expanding world. Uh, uh, one word uh, that I like is this idea of thriving, that God created this world that was like moving and it, it, everything was healthy and it was thriving. 
Uh, and I think most of us in our world have a picture of what thriving looks like. Uh, but in case you don't, here's this chart that um, Hannah sent me. Uh, so they use this in uh, their school to help kids figure out what it looks like. And so, and all of us know, like, we know what it looks like for us to be thriving. And we know when we're just surviving or when we're struggling or when we're in crisis. And more so, we know, like, when our, when our marriage is thriving or when it's just surviving. Uh, we know when, like, our workplace is just is thriving or when it's kind of just hanging on. We know when uh, our physical bodies feel like that they're thriving or when it's just kind of like surviving, just hanging on, or when it's in crisis. Uh, we know uh, what it looks like when we watch the news, when we look at what's going on in our world, when we look at what's going on in our city. We have an idea of like, here's what it would look like for our city, for our school system, uh, whatever it might be, for it to be thriving, or what it looks like when it's kind of just hanging on. And God's idea is that he wanted the whole world to be thriving and to keep getting better and better and better. Uh, another word that you could use for it is the idea of flourishing. Uh, some translations uh, of the, um, Genesis 1 will even use that word, that God created the word to be flourishing. Uh, or maybe... The best word for it is kind of a very Jewish word, is this idea of shalom, that God created the world to have this like peace, this kind of this rest, this kind of just like walking through this day feeling like, ah, like this is how it's supposed to be. Like this is what a friendship is supposed to feel like, right? Like this is what a marriage is. This is what like, this is what coworkers, this is how we should treat each other, right? Like this is what a neighborhood, should, it's just kind of, this is the way it's supposed to be. And God, from the very beginning, wanted this world that was set on thriving and flourishing, shalom, and for it to just keep getting expanding and bigger and better and better. So the question then is, is how? Well, what's God's big plan of how he's going to take the world and keep moving in a direction where it just keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, because my idea of God is that God's big enough, he could just do it all himself. He could just like snap his fingers and he can make the world exactly the way he wanted it to be. He can make everybody act exactly the way he wanted it to act. He can make our environment be as healthy as he wanted it to be. He can make our economy be. He could make everything exactly the way he wants it to be all of the time. But from the very beginning, God didn't choose to act that way. And so part of God's original plan, what we want to look at today, uh, of how God created us to be the world to be as part of his original plan was that God created us and he, so that we are in a partnership with him. That God's plan of how he wants to bring flourishing to the world is in partnership with humans. Uh, and we find this right at the very beginning, again, in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and so in Genesis 1, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, it talks that it made God... Uh, mankind in his image, and that we were made to rule and reign. So God, from the very beginning, gave us this position where we're supposed to rule on his behalf. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it starts off uh, this way. So it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And so something I want to just see as we start here. We're going to talk about this idea of that we are in partnership with God to bring flourishing and thriving. And it's very much, it has to be a partnership. And it's not even like an even partnership. Because there's some things that 
we can do, and we're going to talk about that, but there's some things that only God can do. And so it starts off that God made the earth and the heavens. And there's, you all are amazing. Uh, you all are so capable of doing so many amazing things in this world. None of you can make an earth and a heavens. Uh, none of you made the sun rise this morning. Uh, there's some things that we just don't have the ability or even the authority to be able to do. And so there's some things that are kind of uniquely, this is in God's department. God's bigger than us. He can do, we can't do. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple weeks. Uh, goes on. So now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up uh, for the Lord had not yet sent rain. So again, created this world that was like not, it was very good, but it, more was to come. And there was no one to work the ground. I can't plant a bunch of stuff before there's no one to like help out with this stuff. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord formed, and again, only God could do this. We can't make other people. Formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll talk about those two trees uh, in like three weeks from now. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, uh, and this is the words we're going to concentrate on today, to work it and to take care of it. That God's original plan was he, he made this whole creation, he made man, all this stuff that only God can do, and then he looked at the man and the woman, and they, from the very beginning, had a job. They had a responsibility. Uh, they had a vocation, as we're going to talk about, that they were to work the land and take care of it. Uh, and there's kind of two different ways that you can look at these words of work it and take care of it. Uh, the first is this idea, kind of going back to the Genesis 1 idea, of that we were created to rule with God. Uh, that God looked at this whole garden he had made, and then that we were supposed to like have some responsibility to like manage it with him. Uh, I think the best analogy to this uh, is Willy Wonka. So, uh, anybody seen Willy Wonka in the chocolate? Uh, who, who's seen the original Willy Wonka? Uh, who, who's just seen the Johnny Depp version? Oh, you guys are good. You all did your research. That's good. Uh, so, uh, the idea of Willy Wonka for any of the uninformed, uh, go to the little picture there. Uh, so, there's uh, this guy, Willy Wonka, who is created only, you know, this mastermind, he has created this amazing chocolate empire. He's made this amazing factory. Uh, but then he decided that he was going to send out these chocolate bars, and every and some of the chocolate bars was going to be this golden ticket. And in some, and when you got a golden ticket, then you got to come to the factory and do this weird tour. And this is where the analogy breaks down because it gets weird. Uh, but the, the 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 big idea in it is is that one of the people with this golden ticket that at the end. Willy Wonka is going to hand the factory over to him. It's going to end up being this kid. Say, I, I have made this whole factory, but now it's all yours. I want you to run it. You're in charge. You're in charge of the whole empire. You're in charge of the Oompa Loompas. You're in charge of the factory. Like anything that you want to do with it, I, I, I'm going to kind of, then again, the analogy breaks down because he goes off in an elevator and it's more of a co-managed thing. But anyways, that, that they're going, the idea is that this kid now, 
has gotten this amazing opportunity to be a part of leading this thing, ruling over this thing that he didn't create on his own, but now he has this huge position. Uh, And that's part of what Genesis 2 is talking about, is that we were created to kind of take responsibility to manage the world around us. Uh, And this starts right in Genesis chapter 2. So in the next part of Genesis 2, it says, Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. So this part that only God could do. And all the birds in the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So again, God's done all this amazing thing. And then God looks at this man he created. He's like, hey, why don't you name the animals? Couldn't you do it, God? Well, no, of course God could do it himself. But he has decided to say, you know what? I want this to be your job. I want this to be your responsibility. And whatever you name them, that's what you're going to name them. And from the original idea, that was God's plan, that he was going to give us responsibilities to do things on this earth, to expand the earth, to give names to animals, to do all kinds of interesting things, to be able to make things better, to make things that weren't there before. They didn't have names, and now they do. Uh, It goes on. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. Uh, And so that's part of uh, this idea that God has created us to work the garden, is that we have responsibility to kind of take initiative of things. Uh, And this is potentially a pretty big idea for some of us or maybe some of our neighbors and friends as we talk to them about the idea of God. Because sometimes when you're talking about God, one of the questions that'll come up is you'll look at something in the world where it feels like this is something where God should be intervening. God should be doing something. Like if I was in charge of the whole universe, I would be taking action in this scenario. And people will ask, where is God? And that's a great question. And I share that a lot of times. But From the original creation, before anything ever broke down, part of the original plan was there was things that God was going to do, and there was other things where he was going to deputize and say, I I want you to do this. I'm going to stand back. I want want you guys to be the ones that are taking action on this. And and if you don't name the animals, then maybe they're not going to be named. If you don't help that neighbor, maybe no one is going to help those neighbors because God originally, part of the original plan was that God was going to give us responsibility to do things on his behalf. Uh, The second way uh, that you could understand uh, these words of work it and take it uh, is that this is a a Hebrew uh, word and it's the word avad. Uh, And and avad could be translated a couple different ways. Uh, It could be translated as work and so work it. Uh, It could also be to serve it. Uh, so, which is a huge part of how we work for creation is to serve creation. And another way that you can interpret it is the idea of worship. Uh, and maybe even bigger, uh, we've talked about in this series, that there's all kinds of interesting, like, kind of Jewish breadcrumbs all throughout this text, uh, where uh, when we're reading it in English, you know, 5,000 years after it was written, there's so many things that we miss. But for the Near Eastern readers, when they were reading it, there's all kinds of things that they caught because of just how it was written. And so one of the things that they did in this is these two words, work it and take it, are used all the time throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But where they're used in the rest of the Old Testament, they're always combined and they're always used to talk about what priests are doing in the temple. Uh, And this is like a whole big thing that the writers uh, are doing in Genesis 1 and 2. It's trying to say that when God's creating the world, he's not just creating a world, he's creating 
a temple. Uh, and again, it's something that we miss, but like early Jewish writers have, and readers have been like, oh, that's what's going on here. Um, here's what a guy named John Walton, uh, who's one of the resources that we've pointed people to, he says that Genesis 1 can be seen as a creation account focusing on the cosmos as a temple. So as they're reading day one, day two, day three, as they're reading, there's something in the poetry of this whole thing that would have stood out to them to be like, oh, he's not just talking about creating a universe and a world. He's talking about creating a cosmic temple. It's describing the creation of the cosmic temple with all of its functions, with God's dwelling in the midst. Uh, And here's why that's a big deal, this idea that when God's talking about he wants us to work it and that we have this role as priest in the garden, is from the very beginning, this is, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this is written in a culture where there was lots of different temples around, there was lots of different gods around, but from the very beginning, these writers are trying to make this distinction that with our God, there's something very, very different. Uh, And he's trying to make this dividing line, I think, between these two things that we divide a lot, between the secular and the sacred. Uh, And this is something that we all do, something I do, is that it's easy for us to kind of divide our lives up into, okay, I'm starting to get involved in church. Church is a part of my life. And so, like, I have some things in my life that feel like this is like my sacred stuff, you know? So Sunday mornings when, I, when I'm, I go to a building and I sing songs and I pray, that's like my sacred time. And uh, maybe I wake up early in the morning and I spend some time reading the Bible or I do the Lectio app and like that's part of my sacred time. And maybe I put a, a worship song on at some point and like I have these moments of my life that like this is God time, this is church time, this is worship time. But then we have all these other, it's like, this I'm just doing laundry. I'm just, I'm just mowing the yard. I, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm leading a meeting. I'm making a PowerPoint presentation. Like, this is just like the other stuff of life, and we kind of make this dividing line between. And one of the things that these early writers wanted to do, and one of the things that's kind of central to everything we do here around church, is want to set this idea that when God's talking about the world, then that is his temple. That in this kind of this early plan of God, Genesis 1 and 2, that the temple is creation. And so anything you do in creation, you are doing it in the temple. Uh, and it's, it's a big deal because I just get this idea of something about like when you walk into a cathedral, if you ever walk, you know, and you kind of see the stained glass, you know, maybe on Sundays when you walk in here and it feels like you're walking into a different space and it feels like you need to maybe talk a little bit different, act a little different. But in God's idea, if you're at Stewards, there we go. Wait for you at the office when you're hanging out at a friend's house, uh, what when you're sleeping. Anything you're doing, you are always in the temple because all of creation is sacred space, uh, which again just ties in so much of what we talk about church all the time is that church is not a building. It's not a place you go into. It's not a service. It's kind of everywhere you go, anywhere where people are, then you are living in the temple of God. And then therefore, the idea is that anything that you do out there has the possibility to be worship. And so mowing the yard can be an act of worship. Working, making a PowerPoint presentation, uh, doing your homework, uh, talking to your spouse, 
fighting with your spouse. All of it can be a possibility to live in the idea of worship. Uh, there's a writer uh, named Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, and here's what he said in Romans uh, chapter 12. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, God helping you. This is uh, the message translation of this. So I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Uh, and I want to make this uh, kind of practical. I want to suggest three different resources to us to kind of help us like think this out as we go through uh, this next couple weeks. Uh, the first is I want to recommend two different books to you that do a great job of explaining this idea. Uh, one is this book called Agents of Flourishing by Amy Sherman, and the other one is called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Ward. And they both have kind of different uh, ideas to them about what it looks like for us just to live our whole lives in this idea of being priest, worshiping, and then everything we do. Uh, so first, um, Agents of Flourishing by Amy Sherman. Uh, here's what she has to say. Uh, so uh, she uh, picked out with this group these six different things of what flourishing looks like in the world. What, is a, what does God look like? What does a flourishing world look like? That a flourishing world is where things are true, where things are being learned and discovered, uh, where things are beautiful, where things are sustainable, where things are good, where things are just, where things are prosperous. Uh, and as we look through that list, uh, one of the first things that I think about is the way in which we can use our real, actual lives to bring prospering, flourishing, thriving to the world is I think of the different, like, nonprofits that are doing, like, amazing things in this world. Uh, and there's all kinds of groups in our city that I could point us to that are saying, how can we make sure that every kid in our city is becoming literate uh, by age three and making sure that as many kids know things as possible and to make sure graduation rates are high? How can we make sure that our city is beautiful? Uh, how can we make sure that there's a sustainability in both our human health and our environmental health? How can we teach people the right way to treat people, respect people? Uh, how can we make sure that there's unity and equity? How can we make sure that there's enough for everybody to go around? And so one way that you could do this, you could say, hey, I could take some of my time, I could take some of my money, and I could work with some different groups to help bring flourishing to the world around us. And that would be amazing, and that would be a great thing for you to do. But again, I think for a lot of us, we would kind of stop there and think, okay, so I have a I'm going to go to church, I'm going to do my church stuff, then I'm going to have some stuff where I volunteer and where I give, but I still have all the rest of my life. And so part of what she does so well in the book is help describe for us how many of us are doing those same things in like our day-to-day nine-to-five jobs. And so there's some of you I know in this room that are educators. And so you are, for your paycheck, you are helping people learn and discover uh, there's some of you that maybe you play an instrument, maybe you're an artist, and you're, by nature, you're making things more beautiful. Uh, you're working to recycle. You're, if you're a parent, uh, if you're a, a grandfather, if you're a nephew, if you're an uncle, uh, you're working to help other people have better ideas of how they can live their lives. And so part of what we need to do is we need to see how we can use our normal, the, the job in which you do is about making the world into a better place. Uh, and then uh, the uh, second book then by uh, Tish Harrison, uh, Ward. Yeah, so again, we want to make everyone thriving in our world. Uh, 
There you go. Skip it, skip it. There. Nope. One more. There you go. Uh, and so, because again, there's so many other parts of our life. So we're working, we're going to church, maybe we're volunteering, but there's still like, there's driving and mowing and brushing your teeth and all just like the other parts of life. And what we want us to see, kind of the original plan of God, is that literally every part of our life can be focused towards this idea of being a priest in worship. Uh, so here's what Tish says. She says, yet God made us to spend our days in rest, work, and play, taking care of our bodies, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. What if all these boring parts matter to God? Uh, and then in her book, she gives this list uh, of... Uh, Go to the next one there. She gives us a list of all these different things in kind of in a typical day of what would it look like for you to wake up as an act of worship? What would it look like for you to make the bed, brush your teeth, lose your keys, eat leftovers, uh, fight with your husband, check email, sit in traffic, call a friend, drink tea, sleeping, all the other things in your life? What would it look like for every single part of your life be a moment where you could use it to focus on God and to bring flourishing. Uh, again, what we all know is that e in each of those, there is like a choice. That just by the nature of walking into a building and singing a song doesn't necessarily mean that you are like focused in God on that moment. You have to kind of like get in the headspace of that. Just because you're standing up front and doing a sermon, just because you're actively volunteering and serving to someone doesn't mean that you're really doing it with the right mind and with the right heart. But you can get yourself in the right mind and the right heart where everything you do can be in that flow of bringing flourishing and thriving. Uh, and so lastly, uh, I want us to kind of like see a resource, a tool that I think can help us regularly move into that mind frame. Uh, so one of the resources uh, that's on our resource page that we point you to, uh, there's a liturgy uh, that was put together by a guy named Aaron Nyquist. Uh, he did a retreat for us last year, and he put together this liturgy uh, where you do 15 minutes in the morning, maybe as you're walking to work, driving to work, and then another 15 minutes at the very end of the day. And it's just a way for you to take a moment to look at your life and the things that, the way in which God has made you and ask the question, how could I today be an instrument of God? How could I partner with God to make this world, to make myself, to make the people around me into a better version? Uh, so I want to take a few minutes, and we're going to walk through just a part of that liturgy together. Uh, this isn't the whole thing, uh, but this is part of it, just to kind of give you a taste. And then I encourage you uh, to maybe this week make a practice of taking time uh, to listen and to kind of get your heart around this idea of what it will look like for me to take who I am to make the world into a better place because I am just confident that where God has put you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your home, with your roommates, God is looking at you and God wants to bring flourishing and thriving to that place. God wants to see our world get better and better and better. And he could just do it himself. But he has intentionally created the world in such a way where he has chosen to work alongside us and asked us to partner with him in the flourishing and thriving of this world. Uh, let's take a moment and let's listen and do this uh, together. Some where we're just going to start by uh, listening 
together, uh, and then we're going to go into a prayer together. There's some motions to this, so uh, let's start uh, this prayer together, uh, and uh, if you would, uh, close your eyes if that's something you want to do, or you can keep it open, I don't care, uh, but maybe just something to kind of moment to yourself, and uh, if you would put your hands uh, open uh, in front of you. Loving God, here are my hands. What do you want me to create or build today? Who do you want me to serve? What activities should I keep my hands away from? May these small hands help build your kingdom today.
loving God, here is my heart, the deepest part of me. And I humbly hold it open before you now. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you declare your glory and show forth your handiwork in the heavens and in the earth. Deliver us in our various occupations from the service of self alone, that we may do the work you give us to do in truth and beauty and for the common good, for the sake of him who came among us as one who serves your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. say this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 